You have your Bibles? Let me see your Bibles. What kind of Bibles do you have? All right, wonderful. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, and we're going to pick up where we left off this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And Peter is writing, and in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant. Everybody say, Be vigilant. And we saw this morning that the word vigilant is the Greek word Gregorio. And just for a review, this word Gregorio was a word that was used only when you were about to be invaded by a hostile force. Something sinister or foul trying to find its way into your life, into your residence, into your things, you would use this word vigilant, Gregorio. It means be on your guard, be alert construct a barricade, some kind of a barrier to stop the evil from getting inside. And Peter is telling us that there's some kind of a foul force that wants to find its way into our life, and it will unless we are vigilant. Everybody say vigilance. We have to build a barricade. We have to do something to keep the evil on the outside. And then he tells us who is the evil. He says, be vigilant because your adversary the devil. And notice that in this verse, he calls the devil your adversary. And that's very interesting. I don't know what the newer translations say, but the Greek word is the word antidikas, the word adversary. And in fact, it is a legal term, and it is the same legal term which was used in Greek civil society to describe a prosecutor in a court of law. And this tells us how the devil operates. When he comes after us to attack us, he often comes like a prosecutor. What does a prosecutor do in a court of law? He brings facts. He makes a charge based on evidence. He can't even come with hearsay evidence. He has to come with concrete facts, concrete evidence. And here we find that one of the tactics of the enemy is to prosecute us on the basis of what he knows about us. Now, the fact is, God has forgiven everything in your past. Say amen. amen. As far as the east is from the west, it's been removed from you. It's been thrown into the depths of the sea. Every foul, bad thing about your past, even your past yesterday that is under the blood, God has already put it away. And by the way, it's not that God has a bad memory. Some people say God forgets. The Bible doesn't say that. It says he casts it in the sea of forgetfulness. God chooses not to remember. But just because God puts it behind him does not mean that the devil forgets. The devil remembers everything you have ever done. And for example, when you begin to pray and you begin to ask God to do something in your life, that's when the devil begins to speak and begins to prosecute you. He tries to take you down based on your past performance. He may even speak the truth to you about your past activities. Who are you to think you should expect God to do this in your life when you've not been faithfully reading your Bible? Who are you to think God would do something miraculous in your life when you've been so unstable in your life? And the devil might even tell you the truth, prosecuting you on the basis of what he has observed in your behavior. And Peter says you need to understand that when you take a stand and when you're vigilant against the enemy, the enemy will try to come against you as a prosecutor to mentally and emotionally take you down. And then he says that he walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And as we saw this morning, that word devour 
the Greek word pino. It doesn't describe a lion eating the meat, but it's the picture of the meat already completely gone. The lion has eaten it. There's no meat left. Now all that is left of that dead animal are the juices on the ground. This word devour, the Greek word pino, means to slurp up. It's the picture of a lion slurping up the juices that remain. And now Peter uses this illustration to show us what the devil wants to do to us. Not just attack us, not just victimize us, not just eat us. He wants to totally devour us until he ends up hovering over us, slurping up the remains. Nothing left of us at all. This is a serious adversary that has come against us. And this is why Peter says, be vigilant. And then he says in verse 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith. The word resist is the Greek word anthistomy. It's a compound of two words. The word anti means against. And the word stani means to stand. You compound the two words together. It's one that is standing against something. It's not a haphazard or accidental resistance, but it's a pre-planned, strategized, orchestrated resistance constructing your life in such a way that you're able to keep that evil force on the outside. And I gave the illustration this morning. I want to repeat it for those of you that were not here. That several years ago, I would ridicule Denise for locking the door to our house. We live out in the country on the outskirts of Moscow. Hardly any people out there. But Denise was like a fiend for locking the door. I would go to open the door to let the dog out, and the door's locked, both the deadbolt and the regular. The door, I mean, the house is really locked. And I would say to Denise, what is wrong with you that you're all the time locking the house like this? She was, well, I just feel we need to protect ourselves. I said, honey, there's no people out here. And one day I was sitting in the TV room watching television, and Denise yelled and called for me to come to the front of the house. And when I came to the front of the house, I said, what's up? She said, look out the peephole. And I looked out the peephole of our door, and there standing outside our door was a naked woman (laughs) who was trying to get inside our house. She was on drugs, and she had wandered in from the forest back behind our house. I didn't even know there were people in that forest. I've never been to that forest. And now this woman, naked, barefooted, comes walking through the forest, through the field, through our back gate, which was open, finds her way all the way to the front door of our house, pounding on the door, saying she wants in, that our house is her house. And I looked at Denise, and I said, Denise, I want to thank you for locking the door. (laughs) Easier to keep that woman on the outside than to get her out once she got on the inside. Can you imagine what a mess we would have had if I was watching TV and a naked woman came walking into the TV room? That would have been a whole different situation. 
And because she was on drugs, it would have been very difficult to remove her from our house. In fact, when we did get her off the property, she didn't quickly leave. She lingered outside the back gate waiting for an opportunity to get back onto the property and make her way back to the front door. Well, this is just like the enemy. He's looking for a way. In fact, we're told in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, give no place to the devil. I told you this morning that that word place in Greek is the word topos. And maybe you hear another word, topical, topographical map, the word topos. It describes a real, concrete, geographical location. It carries the idea of an entry point, something through which you enter. This is not imaginary. It's a real point. And now the devil, we find, is circling our lives. And he's looking for some kind of an opening. He's looking for a topaz, a real concrete geographical location, something where we've not been vigilant. And because we've not been vigilant, there's an open door, there's a crack, something has been left open through which the devil can enter or access our lives. You know, when I tell this, my mind immediately goes to the city of Sardis. The ancient city of Sardis in the Lydian kingdom, which is located in the very heart of modern-day Turkey. And when you read Revelation chapter 3, Jesus speaks to the church of Sardis. How many of you remember reading that? And Jesus says to the church of Sardis, he says, you have a name that you are alive, but in fact you are dying. And he says, strengthen the things that remain before they die completely. And then he gives them this strange story that I might come upon you like a thief. Jesus was speaking to them in language which they especially would understand, and I want to tell you why. Sardis, ancient Sardis, was constructed on the very peak of a mountain. I've been there many times. I've been all the way to the peak. It was a very secure kingdom. It was a citadel. It had very high walls, very thick walls that had never been penetrated by an enemy. And they became very smug about themselves because they were so high and lifted up and their walls were so thick and so tall and no one had ever been able to penetrate them or attack them or to take them down. And the people living inside those city walls became so smug about themselves and their own security that over a period of time, they stopped looking at their foundations. And they didn't realize that the earth was moving. And as the earth under those walls began to move, cracks began to form in the walls of that citadel. And while they lived smugly and confidently in themselves, they didn't realize they were becoming open to attack through the cracks in their foundation, which were due to negligence. And one day, there was a soldier in the city of Sardis who was looking out over the walls, and when he looked down, his helmet fell. And he had to retrieve his helmet. So he crawled down the walls to collect his helmet, and on his way back, he discovered a crack. 
and to save time, rather than go all the way back to the top of the walls, he decided to see if he could get into the city through the crack. And he did. He accessed the city through the crack. But what he didn't know was the enemy was watching from a distance. And when the enemy saw that soldier enter the city through the cracks in the foundation, the enemy found a way to penetrate the city of Sardis. And when the people went to sleep thinking they were secure, they didn't know it. But the enemy had surrounded them. And the enemy had begun to penetrate them through the cracks, negligence in their foundation. And when the people of Sardis awakened the next morning, they were completely surrounded by an enemy inside the citadel who took them through their cracks. That's what Jesus is referring to in Revelation chapter 3 when he says, be careful, you'll be taken just like a thief would come and take you by surprise. The Bible is very clear that we need to take heed lest we fall. Take heed in Greek is the word blepo. It's meant to jar us, to get our attention. Look, listen, pay attention. Take heed lest you fall. And it's a sound warning that it doesn't matter who you are. You have to be very careful to be paying attention to your foundation, to your life. You have to be vigilant because the enemy is looking for a way to access us. Now, we don't have to be afraid of the devil, but neither do we need to be stupid about the devil. Peter clearly said, He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for a devourable person. So we don't want to be a devourable person. We want to deal with ourselves, make sure every door is closed, every window is sealed, every crack is sealed, that there's no access. We want to be vigilant. Now, in John 10.10, Jesus made this famous statement about the devil, and I think most of us in this room probably know it. What did he say? The thief comes, what? But to steal, let's say it together, steal, kill, and destroy. All right, let's look at that verse with new eyes tonight. First of all, Jesus called the devil the thief. As I said this morning, no one knew the devil better than Jesus. Jesus knew the devil before he was the devil. Jesus knew the devil when he was an archangel, when his name was Lucifer. When Lucifer stood in the presence of God, Jesus knew the devil. And Jesus knew the devil so well that Jesus was able to say from the very beginning, he was a liar, he was a murderer, and now Jesus says he was a thief. And if you study the activity of the devil, he's always been trying to steal something, always. In the very beginning, he was trying to steal the throne of God. He wanted what God had. He was trying to steal the sides of the north, the position that belonged to God. He was trying to steal the glory and the praise that belonged to God. When he became Satan and was cast down to the earth, he immediately began to try to steal the position that belonged to Adam. He tried to steal the position of ruling the planet. It's in his nature to steal. Which leads us to John 10, 10, where Jesus says he is a what? Thief. And this word thief is the Greek word kleptes. The word kleptes describes a professional thief. It is the same word for a bandit, a pickpocket, or a scam artist. It was the equivalent of Jesus saying, nobody knows the devil better than me, and let me tell you what I know about him. If anybody was ever a scam artist, it is the devil. 
He is a professional thief. His intention is to get his hands into your pocket and to steal you blind. It is in his nature. And in fact, that word thief, the word kleptase, is where we get the word for a kleptomaniac. Jesus said he can't restrain himself. It's in his nature. He's a thief. Everything in him wants to steal. And as I said this morning, it's not so really much that he's against you. He's just a thief. Anything you have, he wants to take it. That's his nature. He is a thief. He's a professional con artist. He wants to take from you or talk you into giving up what you have. And Jesus says the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Interesting. In Greek, the word klepto is used twice. First of all, Jesus calls him klepto, a kleptomaniac. And then in Greek, he says he comes to klepto. He comes to steal. He comes to behave like a kleptomaniac. He can't restrain himself. It's his nature. Everything in him is twisted. He's simply a destructive, ravaging thief. That's what he does. So here we have the picture of a thief one who artfully takes away from you. And if he can't just outright steal it from you, then he takes it to the next level. What's the next thing Jesus says? The thief comes to steal and to what? Kill. Now, what do you see in your mind when you see the word kill? Do you see murder? Something grisly, carnage, horrible killing? Is that what you see? The devil comes to kill, comes to massacre? That's what most of us probably see. However, the Greek word, to my astonishment, is the Greek word thuo. It has nothing to do with carnage. It has nothing to do with murder. It is a religious word. It is a religious word which means to make a sacrifice. Anybody who reads Greek, and I probably there's nobody else here that reads Greek, but anybody that reads Greek could tell you this word is not murder. This word kill the Greek word thuo means to make a religious sacrifice, to surrender something that you hold precious and dear. So here's what happens. The devil, like a kleptomaniac, comes along, and because it's his nature to steal, he immediately goes into the business of trying to take whatever you have, stealing. And if he can't get his hands on it and just take it outright from you, then he moves into the next phase, which is trying to talk you into surrendering what you have left from his previous attack. The devil will begin to speak to you. And the devil may even speak to you with religious overtones. He knows how to speak in a very spiritual way. Remember, he quoted scripture to Jesus when Jesus was in the wilderness. The devil knows how to disguise himself even to sound like God. He can get very religious as he begins to say to you, you know, you've already lost everything. Maybe God, God just wants you to give up everything that's left. If he can't just take it from you, then he'll move into that next mode trying to convince you that it's the will of God for you to abandon everything that is left. And then Jesus says, finally, his ultimate intention is to what? Number three, destroy. The word destroy is the Greek word apolumi. No question about that word. 
The word apolumi means to totally devastate, to waste, to ruin. And in fact, it is the same root word that is used in Matthew chapter 3 when John the Baptist is describing Jesus. And John the Baptist says, I'm not worthy to undo the shoestrings of Jesus' shoes. That word undo, what happens if you undo somebody's shoestrings? They're so undone, it begins to fall apart. It comes off. That's the same root word for this word destroy, which means the devil's intention is to come and so totally undo you that your entire life ultimately begins to fall to pieces. That is his objective. Now I'm working on a new translation of the New Testament. And I want to read to you a pretty accurate translation of John 10.10. Are you listening? Pastor Dwayne, are you here? Here you go. The thief wants to get his hands into every good thing in your life. This is a little translation. This pickpocket is looking for any opportunity to wiggle his way so deeply into your personal affairs that he can walk off with everything you hold precious and dear. And that's not all. When he's finished stealing all your goods and possessions, he'll take his plan to rob you blind to the next level by creating conditions and situations so horrible that you'll see no way to solve the problems except to sacrifice everything that remains from his previous attacks. The goal of this thief is to totally devastate your life. If nothing stops him, he'll leave you insolvent, flat, broke, cleaned out in every area of your life. You'll end up feeling as if you're finished and out of business. Make no mistake, the enemy's ultimate aim is to obliterate you. That is a literal translation of John chapter 10, verse 10. Wow, that's pretty serious. No wonder Peter said we need to be vigilant. The ultimate aim of this enemy is to obliterate us. And that's why in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, he says, whom resist. Again, that word resist, the Greek word anthistomy, a organized, strategized resistance, this is not saying, well, I'll deal with it when it happens, or if the devil comes, then I'll deal with it. This is making sure the devil won't come. This is building a wall because you know he will come, but you're constructing your life in such a way he's not going to find access into your life. And he says, resist him steadfast. The word steadfast being the Greek word stereos, which means to reinforce yourself, to bolster yourself in the faith. There are things you can do to reinforce yourself to make sure the devil never gets that point of access. Now, I want you to get a piece of paper, and I want you to write down seven things real quick. Everybody get something to write with. I'm going to give you seven things you can do to reinforce yourself to stop the devil's attack against your life. Number one. Is everybody ready? Every day. Everybody say every day. Spend time with God in the morning. Now, I'm going to give you real practical things that will reinforce you against the devil's attack. In Psalm chapter 5 and verse 3, David says, 
In the morning, Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, Lord, I will lift up my voice and I will look up. (laughs) You know why David did it in the morning? You know why he said, I will look up? Because David knew if he didn't look up real quick, it wouldn't take too long before he started looking down. David knew that. And in fact, if you read the Psalms, you'll find David was a very emotional man. David struggled with his emotions. And David knew if he didn't get a grip on his mind and get a grip on his emotions first thing in the morning, the devil would take him down. And David said, before the devil has a chance to get to me, before my problems have a chance to assail me, I'm going to look up. I'm going to look up before my mind and my emotions and my phone calls and my text messages begin to take me down. So if you want to reinforce yourself, the first thing you need to do is lift up your voice to the Lord in the morning. Now, that doesn't mean you have to spend an hour in prayer. When I wake up in the morning, before I get out of bed, I don't get out of bed before I lift my face. Before I say, Lord, good morning. Jesus, you are Lord of this day. I did it this morning. I do it every morning. It's not a long time of intercession. Please get rid of that idea. It is a looking up from the very first moment of the day to recognize Jesus is Lord of this day and no one else. Immediately, you're creating a barricade to keep the devil out. Number two, every day. Everybody say every day. Spend time feeding your spirit. And particularly on two things. First of all, in the Word of God. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16 talks about the power of the Word of God, that it will put us on our feet again. It will make us strong. It will correct us. It will give us good common sense. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 13, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, when you come see me, make sure you bring the books. Paul wanted to feed on spiritual literature. He wanted to read the Word of God. He wanted to read what others had written about the Word of God. Paul, the man who wrote most of the New Testament, he knew that he needed to feed his spirit, not only on the Word, but also on other sources. And this is truly amazing to me. Because when Paul wrote that verse, when you come to me, bring the books, Within a matter of months, he was going to be beheaded. And the moment his head was taken from his shoulders, he was going to be in the presence of the Lord where he was going to know everything. Why should he study? He's going to know everything within a matter of months anyway. But he didn't know things yet. He was alive. He needed to undergird himself, reinforce himself. He requested something to read. And I want to tell you that growing people are reading people. They're reading people. Every day, feed on spiritual sources. Number three, every day. Everybody say every day. Spend some amount of time in quietness. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 19, talks about the power of reflection. It says, as a man looks in water and can see his face, so the heart answers to heart. We need to get alone where we can stay centered and be in touch with ourself. I'm convinced one reason people get confused and people become susceptible to spiritual attack is because they get so busy they're not in touch with themselves. Forget about not being in touch with the Lord. They're not even in touch with themselves. They're moving through life like a robot, moving so fast they're not sure what they think, what they feel, and it leaves them in a very vulnerable position. 
And the Bible's very clear that every day we need an amount of time just to be quiet and to reflect. Now, the things I'm talking about are very simple, and they just take moments to do. I'm talking about moments, minutes in prayer before you get out of bed in the morning. Taking time to read a chapter, two chapters, three chapters of the Bible, to feed yourself on something else. Maybe you don't have time to read, but maybe you can listen to a book as you drive in the car. There's something you can do to take advantage of your time. Think of the wasted time in your life that you could be using to be vigilant. Time is of reflection. Finding a moment to get alone. Letting your thoughts clear where you get in touch with your heart so you can hear what your heart has to say to you about whatever subject you're dealing with right now. If you can't hear your heart, you're probably going to be directed by some other voice. Number four, every day. Everybody say every day. Spend some amount of time with those who strengthen you. Hebrews 10.25 talks about the power of fellowship and accountability. This is easier to do right now than ever before. I live in Russia, 7,000 miles from my friends that live in the United States. But I am in touch with them every day of my life. It doesn't matter where I am on the planet, I'm in touch with them every single day. It doesn't mean that I spend hours with them, but I'm texting them and they're texting me. I'm Skyping them, they're Skyping me. It may simply be, how are you? I'm great. How are you today? I could be better. It's staying in touch with those that strengthen you. David understood this so much that in Psalm he prayed and he said, Lord, strengthen those that uphold my soul. He understood the power of that circle. People that he could lean on and rely on. I have a group of seven men in my life. I talk to all seven of those men in some fashion every day of my life. And it's not a burden. It is a pleasure. It provides accountability for me. It provides strength for me. When I'm not thinking right, they tell me directly, you're not thinking right. And that helps me to be vigilant. Everybody say vigilant. Who is your circle? Who strengthens your soul? Who strengthens you every day? Again, this doesn't take hours. It might just take minutes. It might take seconds. But this will strengthen you and help you be vigilant against the attack of the enemy. Next, every day. Everybody say every day. Take time throughout your day to acknowledge God. In Psalm 119, 164, David says, seven times a day will I praise God for his righteous judgments. Well, think about David. David was surrounded by enemies in his own house. Surrounded by enemies outside his house, David was assailed by his own emotions. David was assailed by enemies of every kind, every day, all day long. And rather than let his mind and emotions be subject to all of those attacks, David said seven times a day, I'm going to take a pause. And I'm going to remember God for all of his righteous judgments, that he is in charge regardless of what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing. I'm going to stop seven times a day just to remind myself 
that Jesus really is Lord. Well, I tried to do this. Tried to figure out how to do it. 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Tried to work on the calendar. Remember every single time that I needed to stop seven times a day to worship the Lord. And everybody on my team was trying to help me. They would say, Pastor, it's probably been about two hours since you stopped to praise the Lord. And finally, my son one day said, Dad, I can help you with this. And he put a random chime on my telephone. And my phone chimes randomly throughout the day. And every time my phone chimes, everyone that I'm with gets quiet because they know it's my signal to stop and say, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I recognize your presence. I know that you're with me right now. And in fact, they've all started to do it with me when my phone chimes. And when you do that, it brings the presence of God into your situation. It brings the presence of God. Next, every day. Everybody say every day. Learn to say no to the things you're not supposed to do. Don't say yes to everything that comes down the pike. You're not intended by God to say yes to everything. You do not have to feel guilty about saying no. It's great to say no. And in fact, James chapter 5, verse 12 says, let your yea be yea, your nay be nay, because anything else results in trouble. You need to be very definitive about what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. Where you are indecisive, it opens the door for devil to bring trouble into your life. Find out what you're supposed to do. You'll know what you're supposed to do if you're reflecting and being in touch with yourself. If you're having moments of meditation and reflection, it will help you to know, are you really being in touch with yourself, your true self, what you're called to do? That step will enable you to do this step. But learn to say no. Say no is one of the most difficult things to do. But it's powerful when you learn to say no. And last... Every day, everybody say every day. Every day, pray for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Every day. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, be filled with the Spirit. The Greek literally says, be constantly be being filled. There's an initial infilling, and then there's many fillings after. Every day you've got room for more of the Spirit of God. Be constantly being, being filled with the Spirit every day, receiving a new infusion. That infusion will change your perspective. It will empower you. And if you'll do these seven very simple things, which honestly, if you do all of them at once, it might take you about 15 minutes. But if you'll do all seven of these things, guess what happens? You reinforce yourself. So that when the thief comes, you've so bolstered your faith, you've kept yourself in a right position, you're so vigilant about you. You've orchestrated and constructed your life and your thinking in such a way that the devil can't find that crack to get inside.
you know, I'm a pastor, but I don't like to do pastoral counseling. I don't like it. It's important, but most of it's a waste of time. Not always. I'm just telling you the truth. Because people don't want to accept responsibility for themselves. It's their mother's fault, or I'm this way because of my daddy. Everybody wants to shift blame. It's kind of popular today to do that. Everybody's a victim. And you will continue to be a victim as long as you think like you're a victim. But the day you say, this is my life, this is my palace, this is my fortress, and I've got some cracks in my foundation, and it really doesn't matter how I got them. It's time for me to seal the cracks. It's time for me to deal with these issues and make sure the devil stops finding entrance to my life. That's a good counseling session. When somebody says, hey, man, I'll do that. That's a good counseling session. That makes it worth it all. But that's really the solution. That's really the solution. I would love to be able to blame Denise for my bad attitudes. <laughs> and sometimes... That would be true of her in regard to me as well. But you know, it doesn't matter what Denise does. Denise, the majority of the time, is a dream. She's the perfect wife. 99% of the time. That 1%. Rather than me be unhappy because of her, I need to deal with me. I'm not married to an angel. I'm married to a woman. And it's the same for her with me. This is life. Stop shifting blame. Start looking at yourself. Maybe it's time for you to grow a little bit. Seal those cracks. Be vigilant. This is what was on my heart tonight. Was this a help to you? Hope this was a help to you. I want you to put your hand on your heart. I want to pray for you. Then I'm going to turn this over to the prayer team. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Lord, you did not create us to be victims. And you did not create us to be subject to the enemy's onslaught. You love us so much that you told us there's a kleptomaniac that's out to hurt us. And you've urged us to be vigilant. Lord, help us tonight, each of us, not to look at our neighbor's cracks, but to look at ours. To look at any area where we ourselves have been negligent and have allowed the enemy to access us. And help us to close those areas. In Jesus' name. Amen.